Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 200 for Manson versus Strickland or UFC Vegas 47. Is it 47? I better check that before we get too far into this. Yes, it is UFC Vegas 47. I may even just leave this intact because that's how I feel about them renumbering <laughs> like that. Yeah, there you go. At any rate, I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me, as always, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network. Keith, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great, man. We got uh, a lot of fights to talk about, 13 fights. Uh, I'm excited. We, had, we have a lot of MMA going on uh, the next couple of weeks. We... Yes, ton of MMA going on in the next couple of weeks. I'll be real frank and say that this card does not jump out for a whole lot of positive reasons. Like, it's pretty much the definition of just another card. It's pretty much the definition of what you and I will sometimes call Dana White Saturday Night Contender Series. You know, where people who won on the Contender Series, they still have to fight on a couple of these kind of anonymous fight night cards before they get promoted to the real stuff. It's got all of that, but... Most of the card is pretty closely matched. I mean, that's something that you and I tend to look at because, you know, if I want to watch an undercard with a bunch of 500 favorites on it, I'd go watch Bellator. You know, like most of these are pretty sensible matchups. Uh, anything really pop out to you about this card overall that you find interesting or negative? Good, yeah. Bad? Yeah. The only thing that really jumps out to me, we get a lot of contender series guys, uh, you know, the last couple of seasons that really stands out to me. And, and again, it, like the the main event obviously stands out from the rest of the card, but the co-main event to the opener, there is not much difference. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, oh, also worth mentioning that, and we'll get to it when we get to it, but we do finally have the uh, Tough 29 finale as Treshawn Gore and Brian Battle were meant to be the finale of that season. Uh, Gore had to pull out, Battle fought someone else that night. Now they're finally meeting. So if you're one of those tough completists that really needed to know who is the 29th ultimate fighter you get to find out on saturday uh with that unless you got anything else i will just uh jump right into the first prelim here we kick things off at ufc vegas 47 with a flyweight matchup between malcolm gordon and denise bondar gordon the 31 year old canadian is 13 and 5 overall he is one and two in the ufc he last fought uh, back in July, taking a unanimous decision over Francisco Figueredo at UFC on ESPN, Makachev versus Moises. That allowed him to bounce back from back-to-back -back losses to Amir Albazi and Sumudarji uh, upon joining the UFC out of TKO. He will be welcoming Bondar. The 29-year-old Ukrainian is 14-2 overall. This will be his UFC debut, but he is coasting into this fight on an eight-bout win streak, all eight by finish. Uh, and is the favorite to get things done in his UFC debut, as he is currently out there about a week out from fight night at minus 240 or so, where Gordon is plus 200. Uh, Keith, kind of, uh, it's almost rare to see someone like Bondar where they're coming to the UFC and they haven't come through uh, the Contender Series, uh, you know, and haven't really come through many of the typical U.S. feeder promotions. Uh, he's a bit of an unknown quantity, I, I would imagine, to a lot of UFC fans. What do you see in this fight? Uh, how do you see it going? Uh, who do you think is going to win? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm glad you said that. So uh, last time I picked against uh, Gordon, I said 
yeah, I, f- I forgot who he was fighting, but I said, I don't know if this guy isn't good, but I know Gordon isn't good, so I'll go with the <laughs> other guy. I, I almost made the same bet with this one, as in because Bondar is, is such a wild card. Uh, I'll start with Bondar. His style, you know, everything that when you break down him, you have to take it with a grain of salt because the level of competition, I think he his last fight was in – Road to WWFC, which is obviously not cranking out top UFC stars. Uh, so he he uses a lot of movement, but he backs straight up when he's getting pressured. I don't like that. Offensively, he's he's got a, a very busy with his movement, um, Baba Weave style. Cuts angles really well. He does well to disguise his attacks with the way he cuts angles. Um, I like that he will he sets up a lot of his shots with his eyes like he'll look low and then throw a hook high or then go high and disguise something going down low which I like uh get to the plum clinch he's very busy in there he looks for takedowns in there body locks uh leg sweeps weak takedown defense but pretty good at just keeping a scramble going uh if he's on top hard ground and pound he has a submission thread he's got uh, I think out of his 14 wins 10 of them come by submission Move over to Gordon, uh, a veteran of the sport. Uh, pretty fast on the feet, but I, I think his stand-up is, is pretty standard. Nothing special about him. Uh, he really he, – he throws because he wants to close the distance. He wants to get the fight to the ground. He's a uh, – I'd say above-average wrestler. Uh, not the best offensive wrestler, but also uh, not bad defensive wrestler. Uh, he's just relentless with his attacks, so then that usually will against lower level guys and get it. He is a legit submission threat, though. He has six submission wins. He usually wins by just outworking his foe and then trying to find a, a sub in the scrambles. I am worried about his chin as he's been knocked out several times in the past. So I'm not that high as, on Bonder as I've seen other people are, but I'm also not either. I really think Malcolm could pull the upset. Uh, I think this fight should be a pick 'em, but I'm going to take Bonder simply because he's a little bit younger. So, and and I'm not like I I don't know who he is yet. So I guess that is like the same prediction as the last one. Uh, I'm gonna say Bonder. I'm gonna say you know I'm gonna say he's got ten submissions. Let's say he gets another one. Give me Bonder with uh, I'll say second round submission. Uh, I I like that breakdown a lot because you put it. Right. When you watch Bondar, you have to take everything you're seeing with a grain of salt just because he spent most of his time in WWFC, which is, I mean, it's a Ukrainian promotion. It's not super high level by the standards of the region, but you, you see him over there. And in his element, a, a lot of what makes his game go is that he is a big, powerful flyweight. Like he's just physically a jacked, muscular, like little dude. And uh, you pointed out that He's he's not as good a wrestler as you would think he is from kind of looking at him. Uh, you know, not a great defensive wrestler, okay offensive wrestler, but he is good at keeping scrambles going. And uh, he's pretty opportunistic at snatching advantageous situations out of that. And that's where a lot of his arm bars, rear naked chokes uh, is, uh, ha- have come from. That's what worries me about the Gordon fight because Gordon's best avenues to victory kind of force him to take it right where Bondar wants it. Uh, you know, I I think Gordon is going to want to get this fight to the ground and he's probably going to be able to get those takedowns, but 
I don't think he's going to be able to get takedowns and just settle into dominant positions. I think Bondar is going to be able to turn him into scrambles and he's going to get the best of those either by having Gordon in danger and just winning rounds or as you suggest maybe getting the submission and i'm kind of on that train as well i don't think he should be a two and a half to one favorite and we might see that line move as we get closer to the date but uh give me bondar as well and i'm gonna say by third round submission up next is a welterweight matchup between jason witt and uh phil Rowe. witt the 35-year-old Missouri native who goes by the Vanilla Gorilla is 19-7 and overall. He is 2-2 two and two in the UFC and has alternated wins and losses over that time. Uh, he beat Takashi Sato, or sorry, lost to Takashi Sato, beat Cole Williams, lost to Matthew Semmelsberger, and uh, beat in his most recent appearance last July, Brian Barberena, uh, whom he took a majority decision over at UFC on ESPN Hall versus Strickland. Rowe, the... 31-year-old New Yorker is 8-3 and three overall. He is 1-1 one and one in the UFC. Uh, he lost his debut last February to Gabriel Green, then uh, competed most recently at the same Hall versus Strickland card as Witt, uh, knocking out Orion Kosi in the second round of their matchup. Rowe is the slight favorite uh, in this one, minus 170, where Witt is plus 145. Uh, and here, I'm totally stealing a line from you. There are a couple of your lines I steal, like fighter A should never be a two to one favorite over anybody in the UFC is one. Uh, here's one where the, my Keith line for this one is in, in a fight between two guys that haven't proven much yet, I'm going to take the guy with the higher upside. And for me, that's Phil Rowe in this fight. Jason Witt is what he is. He is, and this is going to sound mean, but I absolutely don't mean it this way. He is a journeyman welterweight who is in the UFC because Glory MMA and Fitness is really good at pipelining people into short notice fights in the UFC in the COVID era. Like seriously, if he was on a different team, had a different manager, different coach, we might never have seen him in the UFC. You know, he was a 15 and five dude. That That's who he was. Uh, he's aggressive. I mean, he is an action fighter. So the UFC should be glad to have him aboard because, you know, he's a, wrestle boxer even though neither of them is especially nifty and big problem is he's not a good athlete by the standards of the division by the standards of the promotion he's very aggressive and that's gotten him in trouble i mean both of his ufc losses are knockout losses in, in a minute or less that spells trouble against roe because uh roe is a huge uh welterweight like Big welterweight. We're going to talk about Chidi Njokwani in a minute. This guy is kind of like Chidi Njokwani before he just finally gave up and said, okay, fine, I'm a middleweight. You know, just a 6'3 dude with a big muscles and a big wingspan. Uh, he is a good athlete. I mean, he's not like a jump out of the cage athlete, but he's, he's a very good athlete, very strong. And <clears throat> the only question for him is, in you know, in my view, whether he's going to be able to adjust to taking on fighters that he can't just blow away with his uh, – with his advantages in, in size and strength. Uh, he might hit that ceiling at some point, you know, or he might turn a corner. But as far as the Jason Witt fight here goes, this is his to lose. If this gets into the third round and Witt is grinding him down, Roe is getting tired, I could see an upset by decision. But given Witt's aggression, his keeping his chin up in the air, and Roe's just his superior physical gifts, I'm guessing he finds the off button at some point in the first two rounds. Uh, it might not happen in 60 seconds, but give me Phil Rowe by first round knockout. So what you're telling me is 
you're watching the fights and and you're at home and you don't want to take the guy that saw a fight of Chase Sermon is like, I got to get that guy's nickname. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't I don't know if he stole Chase Sermon's or Sermon stole his oh. nickname. Dude, um, it, it makes me mad because they both stole their nickname from Loden Sincade. You if you oh, can't steal a dead, wow. a dead man's nickname, like rest in peace, Loden Sincade. There you go. I didn't even realize that was a tough one standout, yep. right? Tough one, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So was yeah, Loden was a. I'm trying to think. Was he the one who also got kicked out of the house? Was leaving. He got in some kind of. He got in some kind of shenanigans in the house, but I don't think he got like kicked kicked out. Ah, oh, I thought he. I thought yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. Oh. I don't remember, though. If you remember, hit us up in the comments. Yeah, I knew something happened. I think when Lieben, Lieben situation, I don't know. He did something. Maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Uh, so, Jason Witt, we got uh, a, a pressure fighter who you mentioned isn't very athletic. He's kind of flat-footed. He's kind of stiff. Keeps his chin high in the air. His hands are slow. He does have decent pop. I'll give him that. I like that he targets the body. He has pretty hard kicks. Uh, he does a lot of level changes, le feints, faking his wrestling, set up his hands, and vice versa. He will go for takedowns. He's he's a good wrestler. I mean, uh, he I think he got eight takedowns or something like that against Brian Barberino in his last fight. Uh, he's extremely strong. He picked up Cole Williams in the fight and just walked him across the cage. On top, heavy top control. Likes to just sit in his opponent's guard and lay down some uh, Tito Ortiz-style elbows. Uh, and he got a submission against Cole Williams. So I think I actually might be a little bit higher on, on Witt than you just because he's just like a lunge pail kind of guy, just gets in there and doesn't have a lot of athleticism, but he got like a 500 record in the UFC despite it. Uh, but obviously the big red flag is the same thing that you know, I have, is the same thing that you, you said is his chin. I mean, Matt Semmelsberger like knocked him dead in yeah. that fight. Now, move over to Roe. Same thing that jumps out to you, jumps out to me, is just how big he is. I mean, long, lengthy guy. He's got an 80-inch reach. Uh, he's pretty elusive, technically sound boxer, though he does drop his hands, uh, kind of throws those up punches. Uh, he does well to keep his distance, though, keeping his, his opponent at the end of his punches, uh, throwing straight punches down the pipe. I liked against the uh, Corsi fight that he went down to the body. I like that. Uh, he has some nice power, especially in his right hand. Uh, he doesn't like being pressured, though. He will back straight up. Uh, good kicks. You got that with his long legs. Good kicks. Uh, I would say he didn't throw enough kicks, though. Um, knees in the, in the clinch are really strong. If if he gets in a wrestling battle, that's where he's going to want to battle. Wit is in the plum clinch style of wrestling, not not, you know, fighting off sprawling and hips and stuff. Not much of an offensive wrestler, but he can grapple on the ground. I mean, he's if he's on top, he's got some pretty good ground and pound. He's been competing in a lot of Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitions. He is a submission threat. Uh, he likes to jump guillotine, so that's something he can catch wit coming in. Um, he will pull guard if he doesn't get it down. He's that comfortable on his back. I don't think that would be a good idea against wit because that's what wit wants anyways. Uh, and I don't like that he will look for submissions off his back instead of scramble to his feet. So as far as prediction goes, I'm a little bit more confident with than you are. I could see simply winning uh, wrestling battles very similar to like Tony Gravely's fight last week against Sam Oliveira, like just um, fighting off submission attacks and just being the, you know, rinse and repeat takedowns. But Roe is the, the more well-rounded fighter, and he could end it on the feet and 
or he could catch submissions. So he has a little bit more avenues of victory, as as my my buddy Marcel Dolph used to always say. I say he gets a knockout. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with with row two. I'm gonna go with the upside. I'm gonna say that he catches wit. I'm gonna say he gets it about the second round again. So give me row by second round knockout. There you go. Two picks for Phil Rowe to uh, keep the hype train rolling. We now have what, barring any surprises, is uh, going to be the heaviest fight at UFC Fight Night 200. It is a light heavyweight matchup between Gilton Almeida and Danilo Marquez. Uh, Almeida, the 30-year-old Brazilian, is 14-2 and two overall. This will be his UFC debut. Uh, he competed on, won on, and was frankly one of the standout performers on the 2021 edition of Dana White's Contender Series. He took on Nazruddin Nazruddinov back in September, choked him out in the second round to punch his ticket to the UFC. He is on a nine-fight win streak. All nine of them are finishes. In fact, all 14 of his uh, career wins are by finish. He'll be taking on Marquez. The 36-year-old Brazilian is 11-3 overall. He's 2-1 in the UFC. Uh, won his first two fights over Kadis Abragimov and uh, Mike Slow Rodriguez before running into Kennedy and Zichukwu last June at UFC Fight Night Gone versus Volkov. Uh, <clears throat> Almeida, you know, as you might expect from someone with his blue chip status is a prohibitive favorite here. One of the biggest favorites on the card, uh, a week out from fight night, he is minus 400 where you can get Marquez at plus 320. Uh, I understand why the lines are what they are on, on this one. Marquez, you know, coming into the UFC as at the time, I think like a 35 year old rookie. And there seemed to be nothing that remarkable about him, except that, you know, he was Damian Maya's protege and he was an absolutely titanic uh light heavyweight i mean he's right up there with uh johnny walker and kennedy and zachuku for just like the biggest guys in the division uh he's done better than i expected i mean kata sabragamov you know it, it is what what it is but he looked great in taking out mike rodriguez and even the kennedy and zachuku fight which i mean that looked to me like a matchup that was something that like Joe Silva would do for fun if he were still around. Just, hey, let's get the two six foot five, six foot six guys in there and just smash them up together. Uh, he was putting it on Kennedy and Zuchukwu for the first round. I mean, that was a 10-8 round on the ground if I ever saw one. And just it so happened that he got tired first and all of a sudden Zuchukwu was the one uh, stepping on the gas and got the finish in the third round. But if he hadn't, if he hadn't come out in the third round and blasted him with the first punch, if he just won that round, we're probably looking at a draw. And all of a sudden, Danilo Marquez is kind of someone to watch in this division. All that said, I I think he's going to be in trouble against Almeida. Uh, you know, Marquez, for all of his credentials as, you know, being one of Damian Maya's favorite students, I don't know how well it's going to work against a younger, more athletic, more dynamic grappler who probably has a, a better gas tank. Just Almeida's upside is going to be on full display here. I'm, I won't call for, for the finish, you know, Marquez, aside from being like exhausted and catching like some flush shots from a giant guy like Enzo he's been pretty durable, but uh, give me Almeida by a very dominant decision in this one. Yeah. So you asked me what the theme of the card was and I said contender series and obviously that could still stand true, but I, I keep looking at my notes and I think the he might be unathletic because I think it's about the third fight in a row. I described a fighter as unathletic is, is that that's the thing that stands out with Marquez. And, and have we got some more coming? 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, on the feet, he's a bit of a low output guy, kind of Keith Jardine, herky jerky style, very uncomfortable on his feet. Hard leg kicks, though. As you mentioned, he's a Damian Maya student, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt. You said, use the word that he's a, uh, one of Damian Maya's favorite students. I'm assuming that's like something that John Anik or somebody said in the past. I, yeah. I, I, I assume that's just like Damian Maya being such a nice guy that he probably says that about every one of his students. Like, <laughs> like, like I, I could go like train on a David Meyer for like two weeks and, 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 and miss like four classes within those two weeks. And he still say, Oh, he's one of my favorites. <laughs> um, just cause he's a nice guy. Uh, he he will get the fight to the ground, but he's not a strong offense wrestler. He kind of just reaches very like Michael Chiesa style. He just kind of uses his long arms to get you down. Uh, he will pull guard if he can't get you down. He's got some good back takes. Uh, as you mentioned, Ibrahimov is one they showed that. Also did the same to Mike Rodriguez. Has five submission wins. Uh, he slowed down against Ibrahimov even in a win. You talked about Kenny and Jukwo. That's another fight that he slowed down, which I don't like that. And um, ultimately, he was knocked out in that fight, uh, which you don't like moving into this fight. I know, um, you know, I'm at little, you know, well, what am I going to say? And Chuku is a big dude, so it's not like surprising. Like you, you take, you can only take so many punches from him. So being at that age, taking punches from a massive guy like Chuku is not a good idea. And Mobo Talmeda, thirty years old, nine fight winning streak. You like that coming in? But as, as much as we talked about how big Marquez is, I mean, it's huge, too. Uh, he also got long arms, 79-inch reach. On the feet, he's a serviceable boxer, but he hits hard. And he likes to fight how you should if you got an 80-inch reach. Long teep kicks, hard calf kicks. Um, he's a good wrestler, fast entries, strong clinch takedowns. I was really surprised how well uh, he out-wrestled uh, – Nez, I might say his name wrong, but Nez, Nazradinov, the uh, Sambo practitioner, he's he's getting takedowns, foot trips, sweeps, um, just really impressive in that fight. He's been doing a, he's also been doing a lot of BJJ competitions. Showed some great back takes, especially in that fight. Uh, he's got nine submission wins in his career. He, I've seen him get some sweeps. He almost swept uh, Nazradinov in that fight, uh, but. He makes a mistake, and he did it against Nazarene, that he can be too comfortable off the back. There was a, a moment where Nazarene was reversing a position, and he kind of settled to be on bottom, and I, I don't like that. As far as prediction goes, you know, it's always tough to take a pick a fight between two grapplers, but I'm with you. I'm going with the newcomer. I, I like Almeida. I think he's the better striker on the feet if it stays there, but I also think he's the better grappler too. He just looks really good, especially better grappler definitely in the sense of wrestling. So I expect some fun exchanges. Uh, the way that Marquez fades late, and I haven't seen that yet in Almeida, I'm going to say that Almeida actually gets a submission. He submitted good grapplers in Brazilian of competitions. I don't know why he can't do it in MMA. So I'm going to say he gets a third-round submission. All right. Uh, two strong picks for Jailton Almeida to have a successful UFC debut on Saturday. The lone women's match – ugh. Voice cracking on me. <laughs> the lone women's matchup at UFC Vegas 47 is a bantamweight fight between Alexis Davis and Julia Stolyarenko. Uh, Davis, the 37-year-old Canadian, is 20 and 11 overall. 
She's seven and five in the UFC. She fought most recently last June, dropping a unanimous decision to Pani Kianzad. Uh, that blunted the momentum of a win over Sabina Mazo last February, and that was her comeback after a year and a half layoff. Uh, so anything out of Davis at this point in her career where, you know, many, myself included, thought she might never come back, period. Uh, you know, anything is uh, bonus material from the veteran at this point. I mean, this is a woman who, yeah, it was 10 years ago, but has a finish over Amanda Nunes. Uh, <clears throat> But at any rate, uh, she, she's going to be taking on Stolyarenko. The 28-year-old Lithuanian is 9-5-2 overall. Uh, she is a perfect 0-3 in uh, the UFC across two different stints with the promotion. She did appear on the Ultimate Fighter 28, uh, made it to a uh, spot at the finale where she lost to Leah Letson, uh, went back to uh, regional promotions, won a couple more fights, uh, had one fight in Invicta, and has been back in the UFC since uh, last summer, but she's 0-2 since the return. Though, in fairness to her, uh, Yana Kunitskaya and Julia Avila, both top 10-level talents. Uh, odds do favor Davis to get back on track here. She is minus 220, Stolyarenko around plus 180 as the underdog. Uh, you said the theme of the night was unathletic. I mean, and again, this is not to be mean, but plus athleticism was never what made Alexis Davis's game run when she was 27, let alone 37. She's always been a hard hat girl, always been a bit of a grinder, you know, good grappler, surprisingly capable of taking care of herself on the feet. But, you know, it all runs on strength, good conditioning and just hard, you know, hard nosed grind. I don't know what Stolyarenko's excuse is. She she is one of the worst athletes in the division, and she should be in her prime as far as that goes. I'll give her this. She's decently sized for the division, and she is physically strong, but she's slow and plodding on the feet, uh, doesn't have particularly fast hands, and biggest problem for her is that she's a bit of a one-trick pony, and it's a hard trick to do if everybody knows it's coming, and she's yet to prove that it will work against a UFC level fighter just in, in three tries. Now, you know, she wants to grapple. She specifically, she wants arm bars, but uh, she's not great at getting the fight to the ground in a position where that works for her. Uh, and again, you know, if she pulls guard or just concedes takedowns, if the, her opponent knows, okay, she really, really is just looking for an arm bar at every, uh, opportunity. It's been too easy to avoid. Uh, I think this is tailor-made for uh, Alexis Davis to get back in the win column, honestly. Uh, the odds, you know, she's about a two-to-one favorite. I don't know if she's going to, like, beat her that badly, but I just think it's extremely likely that she's going to beat her. Uh, all, all the all the stylistic matchup really favors Davis here, even if they spend most of the fight on the ground. But I'm not sure that's what happens. I, I think Davis, if she wants to, can keep this on the feet, kind of mug her in the clinch with uh, knees and elbows, just wear her out, make her wear her weight. Give me Alexis Davis by kind of a not real pretty decision, but one where she takes all three rounds and there's not really any question about it. Yes. So when you look at the rankings for fighters, like this fight probably should be the co-main event. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not, like, I'm not, advocating for it i'm, I'm glad it is, it's pushed down um you you mentioned about 
unathleticism and both these girls fall in that category. But I want to remind you, like when I say unathletic, that obviously it, I'm saying it in a negative sense. But that that's not like the leading factor in many of my fight picks because mm-hmm. if you remember the UFC was set up to show off that you could win without athleticism. I mean UFC won. It was Hoist Gracie being the most unathletic guy in that competition. Um, mm-hmm. So I just want to I want to throw that out there now. The reason why Alexis Davis has been so successful is that despite having limited athleticism she's just a crafty veteran i mean she's a she's a pressure counter striker who has good output she's good at picking up the timing of her opponent's attacks uh, she will like sit back counter a, a jab with like a combination she loves her straight left throws a lot of kicks uh she can be open to counters because she drops her own hands but she can grind against the fence she mixes in some clinch takedowns uh, she'll also shoot on the hips, lift the hips up, get get on top. Uh, doesn't have the best takedown defense, but she's a good grappler, uh, especially from the top. She's a good top side grappler, good uh, ground control. She has a submission threat. She has eight submissions in her career. She has good cardio. Like She's going to make it tough, even when she's outmatched by fighters with higher um, – ceilings she's going to be in the fight the whole time because she can take a beat and just keep coming i mean you can see that in her last couple fights um we went to stellarenko you mentioned that the biggest you know she's a one-trick pony but also that she's got a good frame for the division yeah because she used to be up a division so she is big for the weight class you mentioned not a good athlete she's kind of flat-footed but very aggressive on the feet i talked about marquez having a herky-jerky style keith i was throw keith jardine's name out there uh stellarenko has a little bit of that going uh, she tends to drop her hands, but she throws hard. I give her that. And, but she can get very wild, and she's very hittable. She'll run into punches. Um, she will throw tons of like high kicks, but they don't really land. Uh, I love that she will close the distance throwing a Superman punch. Uh, that really doesn't land either. But it, it will back her opponent up to the cage, and that's where she wants to work, where she'll get in the in the clinch, land some. Uh, shots inside the clinch, look for elbows inside the clinch, um, then try to get the fight to the ground and, and slice up her opponent with elbows. Uh, she she was in one of the bloodiest fights in history against Lisa Bravosa, where she was slicing her up. Uh, the one thing I don't like, though, is where I used to think that was like the spot for her against Yana Kuniskaya, and Yana Kuniskaya brutalized her in the clinch, which was a little surprising to me. Uh, she will jump guard. She'll try to get the fight to the ground no matter what. With the name of Ari Roll, but you said she's a one-trick pony. She wants to pull this armbar. She's an armbar specialist. She's a extremely poor man's version of Ronda Rousey. Um, her, but I like that she had she, she's fought like Invicta. She's fought twenty-five minutes, so she's got the cardio to go fifteen minutes. Now, first prediction goes. You were talking about uh, Sterling being this like one-trick pony. It just remind me of this this guy where I grew up in in Riverside. Uh, all, all my all my river rats. There was a uh, used to be this. It's still there, and the guy still hangs out there. But there was this guy named Walter Miller, uh, and everyone in Riverside would know him as Crazy Walter. He'd, he'd be at Riverside Grill, and he'd sit in the first booth that you came in, and he always say hi to everybody, and he always wanted to show you a card trick. But he's been saying, but he's he's crazy. He's an older guy, and he's been showing the same card trick for thirty years now. And you you move him like, oh, that was really good, Walter. You gotta show me how you do this sometime. And uh, and then he'd talk to you about. Are you gonna vote for Damiani? I think Damiani ran for like, like, 
city council in 1984 or something. Like, like the guy's, <laughs> like the guy's dead. <laughs> He's like, you're, you're gonna vote for Damiani. I'm voting for Damiani, absolutely. But uh, that's crazy. Well, that's to me is like Sterlingo. Like, yeah, it was cool. Like when I saw it, when he showed me the trick when I was eight. Like, not, it's, she's not a threat with it anymore. <laughs> not at this level. She's she's not going to onbar Alexis Davis. I'm going to take Davis. Davis is just an overperformer, despite her lack of athleticism. She tends to put herself in the best opportunity possible. And Sterling is more powerful there. She has that submission threat, but. I just see Davis touching her up. I see her taking over late, making it, staying busy, and just winning a very Alexis Davis type fight. So give me Davis by decision. There you go. Keith and Ben both picking Alexis Davis to get it done over the female Cody McKenzie, Julia Stolyarenko. And, and, and Crazy Walter, he picked Damiani for that fight. <laughs> <laughs> Rest in peace, Damiani. Next up at UFC Vegas 47 is a middleweight matchup between Chidi Njokwani and Marc-Andre Berrio. Uh, before I even get into the introductions, one question for you, Keith. Eight years ago, five years ago, two years ago, when he was uh, released by Bellator, did you think we would ever see Chidi Njokwani in the UFC? <laughs> Hell no. So, so uh, I'm glad you asked me this question because... It's usually the other way around. Usually when you have a washout from the UFC, they end up in Bellator. But suddenly we're getting like Bellator washouts in the UFC. I mean, last week we had it with Andre Fialo. Now we have it with Chidi and Jukawani. Like, what the hell's going on? And you know what? I was excited for, for Fialo to be in the UFC. I'm excited for Chidi and Jukawani to be in the UFC. Honestly, considering that Jeremy Stevens just uh, didn't get re-signed, I'm a lot more excited for Chidi and Jokwani in the UFC than I will be for Jeremy Stevens in Bellator if that's where he ends up. I think he's with the PFL, didn't he? That's what I heard. He oh, did, did he sign? Because I don't know. In, I, I I think he signed with the PFL. I heard. That he, makes, just, he feels like he should be in bare knuckle boxing. He just has that bare knuckle boxing personality. Like he I, should be like there'd be like a three way fight between Mike Perry and uh, <laughs> Let Me Bang Bro and and, and Jeremy Stevens. <laughs> Julian Lane. Chris Levin in there. Like, oh, my God. Oh. Uh, that, that's it. I'm not going to get into a, how I hate, hate bare knuckle boxing rant. Nope. All right. Here we go. Angel Kwani, the 33-year-old American, is 29 – or, sorry, 20 and 7 with one no contest overall. Uh, as mentioned, this will be his UFC debut. He did go 5 and 3 in Bellator. Uh you know, in the welterweight as well as middleweight divisions. He exited Bellator on two straight losses, as I alluded to before. But in fairness to him, they were against John Salter and Rafael Carvalho, who were the number one and two guys in the division at the time. So it's not as though he was losing to, like, scrubs. Uh, he will be taking on Barrio. The 31-year-old Canadian is 13-4 and four with one no contest. He is 2-3 and three with one no contest in the UFC. Uh, and basically... He lost his first three fights, won his last three. The first of those was uh, turned into a no contest. Uh, that was his uh, knockout of Oscar Piajota. But he fought most recently last September at UFC Fight Night Brunson versus Hill, taking a unanimous decision over Dolce Lugiambula. Odds on this one are uh, close to a pick'em. Uh, Barrio, just the slight favorite. He's minus 120. And Jokwani is, again, as of a week out from Fight Night, available at even money. Plus one hundred. Uh, I'll tell you, I'd like I say, I'm, I'm excited for Chidi and Jokwani to be in the UFC. I don't think he has top ten upside. 
I don't I didn't think he had top ten upside when he was knocking fools out, you know, seven or eight years ago. I just thought he's a fun guy to watch who, you know, I, I'd like to see him against some uh, you know, some top level fighters. We're gonna we're finally gonna get to see that. Uh and Joe Kawani, like tons of power. He, he's not a super high volume striker. That's tended to be his problem. And I think part of that was probably because he spent so much of his career as just a ridiculously, ridiculously oversized uh, welterweight, you know, and just the huge weight cut. I have the feeling he kind of developed that as a coping strategy to guard a gas tank and a chin that were compromised by probably cutting 35 pounds during fight week or whatever the hell it was he was doing. Up at middleweight, uh, he certainly looks better physically, but old habits die hard. And so, and Joe Kawani's his highlight reel does not stand up to the actual reality of one of his fights. Uh, best I can compare that to is actually Rashad Evans, who just fought at uh, Eagle FC tonight, where if you look at his highlight reel, you'd think he's one of the greatest action heroes of all time. But most of the time, most of his fights were not super exciting until the finish came. That's Joe Kwani for you. Uh, Marc-Andre Barrio. Uh Definitely an overachiever. He could easily have been cut on the back of those three losses to start his UFC run, which is a shame. You know, he came to the UFC as a champ from TKO. I, I thought he had pretty good upside. Uh, he looked good enough in the last of those losses to Jin Young Park, and Park is a good enough fighter that they gave him a fourth chance. And it's been pretty good uh, for him ever since. He's also a fairly low-volume striker, but, man, he packs a wallop. And because of that, these guys have kind of mirroring styles i have the feeling we're going to get kind of a slow paced kickboxing match where each of these guys is kind of looking for the perfect shot i don't know if either of them is going to get it uh but i am going to take barrio by decision in this one just thinking that neither of these guys is really going to land the kill shot they want yeah so chidi and dukuwani is He's a guy, I mean, for his, making his UFC debut, he's got some really high-level experience with someone making their UFC debut. I mean, the guy's been fighting pro for 15 years now. Uh, things you like about him, obviously, is, is, you know, you said he moved up to middleweight. He's still a very long, lengthy fighter, 80-inch reach. He's a composed striker, Muay Thai style to his game, which uh, means he's a little more of a stationary target right in front of you. But he stand, And he stands up a little high, which I don't like. And you mentioned that he can, have, he can be gun-shy. But he uses feints well. He, he, I like when he throws combinations. He'll switch stance and mid-attack to give different angles. Uh, I, I think I, mean, I don't think he has as high, good power as you say. I think you said he had great power. I put him more as a plus power. I mean, I know he knocked out Filio, but um, strong clinch game. That's because of his height and his knees up the middle. Um, for a guy who's not known for his grappling, I actually think his grappling might be a little bit underrated. Uh, he can land a takedown. He showed off in his last fight some great ground and pound against Mara Souza on the contender series. Uh, he's a weak defensive wrestler, but and he really, you know, I think he only has one submission win on his record, but he is a Brazilian black belt and he did out grapple Souza in his last fight. So you got to like that. And then move over to Barrio. Uh, I actually, again, I, I think Barrio is a little more aggressive than I, I get what you were saying. I just don't think like you can't compare his aggressiveness to, to, and Jukawani. And Jukawani okay. is trying to set traps. I think Barry is a little more, uh, a little bit more of a bold moving forward. And he, he fights. I, you know, I should say this actually. Let me let me rephrase that. He fights best when he's being aggressive and he's moving forward. He's being uh, the bold. When he sits back and he tries to play the matador, that's not his style because he, I mean, he's not the athlete of 
and I know he was like a I think he was like a hockey player or something like that and, and you know whatever but um he, you know um Jung Gil Park had success against him because he was backing up and making the stand fighter on his back foot. Uh, his right hand is, is really strong. Um, he can be right hand happy and he can look for it over and over again. Um, head hunting with his punches. He has good power. Um, oh, I should say plus power. He's probably like in Jukawani party, not as technical as in Jukawani, uh, but he fights behind a high guard, more of a boxing style. Uh, he'll just pillar to stop attacks. Uh, when he's throwing kicks, Good calf kicks. I like his. Um, I like like I like his game so much better. If he if he added more kicks into his game, he threw it a lot more. Uh, he can sneak a takedown. He's not he's not a complete um, one dimensional fighter. He shows some pretty good improving takedown defense against Jaco, and he's got really good cardio. So, as far as prediction goes, you seem like you were a little bit on the fence. Kind of, I'm I'm very similar. Like I think it's a tough fight to call. I think. Barrio is more of his a brute, while Jukawani is more of the technical sound fighter. That said, I'm going to disagree with you. I'm taking the Bellator stable. I, you know, I, you were the one saying you were excited about Jukawani getting burned to the UFC, <laughs> but I'm actually the one who's going to take him. I think he's more technically sound. I think he has an underrated wrestling game. So give me Jukawani by a decision. And his brother lost today, so he needs a he needs to do it for the family. Do do it for the Njukawani family name. Next up at UFC Fight Night 200 is a featherweight matchup between Hakeem Dawadu and Michael Trezano. Dawadu, the 30-year-old Canadian of Nigerian descent, is 12-2-1 overall. He is 5-2 in the UFC, uh, dropped his debut in rather shocking fashion, just getting stunned and choked out by Danny Henry in 40 seconds or so, then came back with five straight wins over increasingly solid opposition, uh, ending with wins over Julio Arce and Zubaira Takugov. And then uh, the five-fight win streak came to a grinding halt last June at UFC 263 at the hands of Mosar Evloev, who took a unanimous decision over him, which was, frankly, a dominant performance for Evloev, especially in the wrestling and grappling departments. So he's looking to get it back on track against Trezano, who I don't think it would be controversial to say is one of the quieter tough winners in the history of the show, which is saying a lot, but the 30 year old uh, New Jersey native is nine and one overall. He is three and one since joining the UFC. Uh, once again, as the winner of the 27th season of the ultimate fighter, uh, he fought most recently back in May, taking a unanimous decision over Ludovic Klein that allowed him to bounce back from the first loss of his professional career, which was a uh, second round submission by Grant Dawson all the way back in May of 2019. Uh, odds on this one favor Dawadu. He is minus 195. Trezano available around plus 160 or plus 165 as the underdog. Uh, Keith, who do you like in this one? How and why? Yeah, so this is a tough one because... Trezano, you mentioned it, Ultimate Fighter winner. Um, in long and lengthy fighter, another theme. He's not a great athlete. He, but he's good technically. He, he tends to leave his hangs his hands a little low, but when he's throwing punches, straight punches down the pipe. Uh, doesn't check leg kicks, which I don't like. But he's just going to stay in your face. He's going to make you grimy. He's going to grind against you against the cage. Not a great wrestler, but somehow he's going to find a way to get the fight to the ground. He's going to trip you when you're off balance. He's going to do something. Uh, he's good at winning scrambles. Uh, weak takedown defense, but he is a submission threat. If you if 
you leave an opening, he will finish the fight. Um, and he's going to go hard the entire 15 minutes. Um, he's very Alexis Davis-like when I say, like, it's one of these ones that every time I watch a Mike Trezano fight, suddenly he's winning in a fight against I don't think he should be winning. And I go, oh, yeah, like, because he's got this, like, amazing willpower in him. Now, move over to Dawadu. There's some things about Dawadu that I, I really like. So he's he's a composed striker. He's a counter-striker. He likes to stalk his prey behind, behind a high guard defense uh, and then just pick pick apart his opponent from distance, use his feints well. He can to be he, he can be a little bit of a slow starter and scared to pull the trigger, but when he does, he's got the power to back it up. He's got good speed, great, great calf kicks. When he's unloading those calf kicks, they're a real dangerous thing, though he doesn't really check leg kicks himself. But weak takedown defense, I mean, I, I said last time in the notes, he was, he's been taken down four of his last five fights, and then it was even worse, as you mentioned, against... Movisai Evilev get taken a nine times the fight. Mind you, Evilev is an extremely good wrestler, one of the best guys in the division. So, uh, to his credit, though, when you've been taken down nine times, that means he kept getting back up. So he's hard to hold down, and Trezano is not the wrestler that Evilev is. So, who's going to win? I didn't get as much in the X and O's, uh, the guys than I normally do, because to me, I don't think this fight comes down to the X and O's, their actual talents. To me, it comes down to their brain and. Because it's a tough call because Mike Trezano is a he's an overachiever during his career. He's a guy who's done much better than he should. Akeem Dawadu is the complete opposite. He's an underachiever. He's a guy whose his record's worse than it should be. Like he should be much higher. Like he has the talent to be a top fifteen guy. Um, I expect Trezano to get in Dawadu's face to press the action. I expect him to get some takedowns too. Uh, I expect him to make it an extremely tough fight. However, I am going to pick Dawadu. He has the speed advantage. He has the power advantage. He has those great leg kicks. And when it's really close, I go with the guy that if either one of the guys is going to wow me and I'm going to – if I tweet on Saturday, wow, what a breakout performance, I don't think I'm going to be tweeting that about Trezano. If I tweet out, wow, what, that was a statement, I'm tweeting it about Dawadu. So I'm kind of still holding out hope that there's something there, but this guy has his last chance. He loses this one, and it's pretty much time to give up on him. So give me—I want to pick Dawudu one more time, but this is it. I'll—I'll I'll, I'll give, give me him by decision. Yeah, I, <clears throat> interesting thing about uh, Trezano is I, obviously there's a bit of what might have been story about him because he's 30 years old. He's been in the UFC for—is it? My goodness, almost five years now, and he's only had 10 professional fights. He's had a couple of long injury layoffs. Uh, I, I agree that he's he's not like a super plus athlete. Uh, one thing that always stands out to me is he seems big for the division. Like, you know, I, I he came to the UFC through a lightweight season of the Ultimate Fighter and promptly you know, w went to cut to featherweight. And I find that surprising because I don't think he'd be undersized even as a lightweight. And I, I wonder if he'd be better off, you know, a as a lightweight. Just uh, his relentless style, like, I'm surprised his gas tank hasn't betrayed him yet. But, you know, I guess until we, we see it, he's fine as he is. Uh, for a guy that, you know, he's a longtime Team Tiger Shulman guy, which is kind of the quintessential karate school that started cranking out MMA fighters. Uh, 
contrary to what you would expect from that, the skills he has that present the most threat to UFC level fighters, it really is, you know, wrestling, scrambling, grappling. You know, I, I've not really seen him outstrike many people very soundly in the UFC. And it's not going to start with Hakeem Dawadu. Uh, I agree that Dawadu, he hasn't fully lived up to the obvious potential that that is is in him. You know, the, the lapse in his debut that let him just get caught and put away by Danny Henry in a matter of seconds is worrying. Because as you point out, he's a slow starter, and he's a slow starter in the sense that not only does he not really get into the rhythm and start getting off his own offense, but he is vulnerable in, in the first round. Uh, it's let a lot of his fights, I think, be a lot closer than they need to be. Like, I, I think uh, he could have and should have really blown away Julio Arce and Zubairi Tukugov and maybe already would have been a top 15 fighter heading into the fight with Ebloev. Instead, that was the kind of fight where, okay, whoever wins this is probably in the top 15, and it ended up just being a one-sided shellacking by Ebloev. Uh, I think Trezano definitely has the advantage in the ground game here, but not everybody can look at that Evloev fight and say, okay, that's all I need to do to beat Hakeem Dawadu. You know, as you pointed out, he's one of the very best wrestlers in the division. That's just not an option for most guys, even if they know they really need to get the fight to the ground against Dawadu. I, I think this is going to be, like, I think you said it right. Uh, it's going to be Trezano coming forward because that's what he does. It's going to be Dawadu throwing low kicks and looking for the right opportunity to burst with punches and high kicks. And it's just going to come down to whether he does that enough to win rounds, whether he does that enough to actually hurt Trezano, and whether Trezano is actually able to close in on him and find a way to get this to the ground. Uh, I am leaning Dawudu as well, but there's not a whole lot of confidence in this just because Dawudu has shown that he is capable of losing fights he should win or capable of making fights much closer than they should have been. So I'm going with Dawudu here, but uh, it is a pick without too much confidence. Next up on the UFC Vegas 47 prelims is a bantamweight matchup between Miles Johns and John Castaneda. Johns, the uh, 27-year-old, is 12-1 and overall. He is 3-1 since joining the UFC out of the third series of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he is on a two-fight win streak, those both being third-round knockouts over Kevin Natividad and, most recently, at UFC 265 last August, Anderson Dos Santos, whom he put away with a one-shot punch uh, in the third round of their matchup. He'll be taking on Castaneda, the 30-year-old uh, Minnesota native, is 18-5 and five overall. He is 1-1 one one since joining the UFC uh, as a veteran of Combate Americas, Combate Global, and after an appearance on the first season of Dana White's Contender Series, where he did win, he took a unanimous decision over Chen Lealoha, but was not immediately signed uh, off of that win, so he took the long way around. But his most recent appearance was almost exactly, well, it was almost a year ago. It was February of 2021, UFC Fight Night Blades versus Lewis. He knocked out Eddie Wineland in the closing seconds of the first round. Uh, John's strong favorite here, minus 250, Castaneda plus 220 on the comeback. Uh, Keith, who do you like in this one? I mean, I have the feeling, I know what you're going to say. Uh, we're both pretty high on John's. We're both, you know, uh, you know, like Fortis MMA boosters in general. Yeah, but yeah. how do you see this one going? Absolutely. 
Yeah, Johns is one of the guys that I've been big on his his entire run at the UFC. I actually said I was a little disappointed in him. He's starting to turn around a little bit, but you know I love my wrestle boxers, and he's the perfect mode of the wrestle boxer, that Chad Mendez type guy. Uh, he's small, short, compact, uh, stays tight in his high guard, uses a lot of feints, follows up a stiff jab to slide into the pocket where he unloads hooks and uppercuts. He kind of he does throw hard and he throws everything into his shots. He can overreach on his shots and overthrow his shots. Sometimes he makes a mistake of telegraphing his strikes and just trying to end it with like constantly looking for that one punch walk off shot. Um, this is an issue for fighters uh, when they face someone who uses a lot of movement. And I actually think that's what happened in the Mara Batista fight. He really had a hard time picking up the timing of Batista. Um, this also uh, limits the amount of action that he's going to dispatch because you're always throwing that one big shot instead of throwing like a four-punch combination. But if he connects, he can put your lights out. Uh, hard leg kicks, uh, he, though he doesn't check leg kicks, he's a really good wrestler. He's a former NCAA wrestler, fast entries. He'll catch a kick and take you down. Really good at winning scrambles, really, really physically strong. Likes to pick up his opponents and slam them. Heavy grind and pound. Uh, he does make the mistake of defending takedowns by looking for like head attacks, guillotines and bar- and barbell chokes and and darts chokes and things like that, which obviously is good when they connect. But the problem is is that you lose position to a weaker wrestler, and he has he makes he has a very Chuck Liddell like get up game to him where he just kind of stands up and just gives up his back, which I don't like. He hasn't paid the price for that yet, but um, a lot of athleticism. The athleticism jumps off the page of Miles Johns. Moving to Casaneda, Casaneda. Um, a southpaw, good output, uh, tends to headhunt, ignores the body, uh, doesn't do much with adjustments. He, if he's struggling to fight, uh, he, he, he'll he stick with the same game plan. I don't like that. Like He really struggled with the length of Nathaniel Wood and didn't really do anything to close the distance in that fight. Uh, but he had shown in his last fight, he's starting to come into his power. Uh, he showed that against Eddie Wineland. Uh, he loves body kicks against orthodox fighters, which is something I like. I don't know if he's going to throw a lot of body kicks and get someone like Miles Johns because it might get caught. Um, and he throws a lot of leg kicks, which um, could be an issue against someone like Miles Johns. He's a good wrestler himself. I'll give him that. Like, not a great, not Miles Johns level, but a good wrestler, solid in scrambles. And he has a submission threat. He has six submission wins uh, in his career. Uh, Casaneda could win this fight if he avoids a huge power shot and just outworks. Uh, Johns, where Johns is trying to chase the big knockout, he just kind of putting, you know, putting the points in there, just putting rounds away by just staying busy, working a jab, just throwing more shots and, and avoiding big shots. However, Johns is going to have a big speed advantage, definitely a big power advantage. Add in that Casaneda likes to wrestle, and that's Johns is more superior. I like Johns everywhere. I think Johns is going to get one of those big spectacular knockouts. I think he's going to hit the kill switch probably about the second round. So give me Johns with a big, nice walk-off knockout for him. Great. I, I agree with the whole breakdown there. And like something that I'll just point out, you uh, you mentioned that you know Johns definitely likes to look for that one-shot, you know, kill shot, walk-off knockout. There, well, for one thing, he's gotten it in two straight fights now. Like he's gotten two straight knockouts where no follow-up ground strikes were needed mouthpiece is gone dude is dead referee is diving in but even more important than that to me because i mean you can't ride that in you can't ride that to the top nobody is ever going to do that in every single fight but what i love about john's is in both of those uh fights against um kevin the as well as anderson dos santos he was already winning the fight before he got that 
So it's not like he was waiting around losing the fight until, you know, the clouds parted and like the, the he's found the red button. So you got to like that about Johns. Uh, <clears throat> another another thing that gives me pause about this matchup with Castaneda for Castaneda is uh, Nathaniel Wood also was really hurting him with the leg kicks. You could tell it was affecting him. It was affecting his IQ. He, was, he had switched stance because they were hurting him so bad. If Nathaniel Wood can do that, Miles Johns definitely can as well. So I, I'm with you here. Like, I'm high on Johns as a prospect. He's still just 27 years old, uh, and he's really putting it together. And it's not like I'm really that down on Castaneda. I think he's a pretty good fighter. But this is a matchup that really does favor Johns everywhere. Uh, I expect that, yeah, I expect kind of like you. He'll probably be winning the fight anyway. I think he's going to be able to get the takedowns when and if he wants them. I think his leg kicks are going to uh, hurt Castaneda early and often, but give make it the third round for me. Might as well be three third round knockouts in a row, but he gets once again, just the walk off hands in the air, $50,000 check earning knockout. Next up at UFC Vegas 47. And as the card is currently constituted as of a week out from fight night, what is scheduled to be the main card opener is a featherweight matchup between Julian Arosa and Steven Peterson. Arosa, the 32-year-old Washington native, is 26-9 and nine overall. He is 4-5 and five in the UFC across uh, multiple different stints with the promotion. So it's worth noting that, in fairness to him, he's 3-1 and one in his current run in the UFC. Uh, he still is, I believe, the first fighter to complete the hat trick of joining the UFC through the Ultimate Fighter, through Dana White's Contender Series, and as a COVID late replacement. So he'll always have that. Uh, but he comes into this fight uh, having won his last outing with a third-round submission of Charles Jordan. Huge upset, one of the bigger upsets of last year. That was UFC Fight Night Brunson versus Till uh, last September. He'll be taking on Peterson. The 31-year-old Texan is 19-9 uh, and nine overall. He is 3-3 three and three in the UFC uh, after joining out of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series. He's currently on a two-fight win streak, uh, having beaten Martin Bravo with a spinning back fist knockout uh, way back in September of 2019, then coming back uh, a year and a half later last June at UFC 263 and taking a unanimous decision and kind of uh, putting the brakes on the story of Chase Hooper. Arosa, one of the bigger favorites on the card. He's minus 250 as of right now. Peterson available plus 200. Uh, as the underdog, man, between segments here talking, you know, off, off camera, you said, you know, this is on the main card because this is pretty much a guaranteed action fight. There is a reason it's a guaranteed action fight because it takes more to make an action fight than just, you know, two aggressive fighters. The main thing that makes this an action fight is that these are two fighters who are really, really, really susceptible to their opponent's offense. Like Julian Arosa is an offensively potent fighter, but whatever you got for him, you're going to get a chance to make it work. If you're a striker, you might be able to head kick him. If you're a grappler, you might be able to choke him all the way to sleep. Like he is an equal opportunity creator of highlight reels. He makes highlight reels for himself as well as his opponents. Um, Steven Peterson, kind of the same. Every time I look at Steven Peterson, I have to remind myself that he's from Texas. Cause you look at the guy, you look at the haircut, the like flaming winged Superman, uh, tattoos, you're like, that guy's from like Iowa or Nebraska and his record is like, you know, 40 and 26. He, he's just 
everything about him screams like Midwest journeyman from the early aughts. And nope, he is from Texas. He is a Fortis MMA guy. I mean, I should remember he's from Texas. He headlined the very first LFA show, LFA one. Uh, you know, he, he headlined it. But kind of like I've said about uh, other fighters, considering that he is a Fortis MMA guy and Safe Saud is, you know, just generally a very kind of cerebral coach, he must drive Safe's like blood pressure through the roof every time he fights. You know, and Fortis takes all types, you know, raw prospects that are just putting it together, like multiple guys like, you know, Morono and Fajeda that have their own teams and are definitely cerebral fighters. But Peterson is just a wild man. Like, it must be the way that, like, Bob Perez m must feel every time Daniel Pineda fights, you know. Uh, this one, just, I, I, I understand why Arosa is the favorite because this is probably going to consist of Peterson coming forward and throwing and Arosa being... He, he doesn't love to be put on the back foot, but, you know, be, he's going to be the taller and longer guy, and he knows exactly what Peterson is going to do. I think he's going to have plenty of opportunities to, you know, to to make his game work on Peterson. Peterson's never been submitted before, so I'm not going to pick that to happen, even though I could see him getting, like, at least put in trouble with something out of the front headlock, like a Bravo or a, or a Dar's choke, either off a takedown or in a scramble or something. But, yeah, th this... It, is a likely at least contender for fight of the night and uh give me a rosa by decision but should be a wild one both guys have each other in trouble at least once in the fight yeah so yeah i i agree a lot see and so um rosa obviously he's huge for the weight class long lengthy guy 76 inch reach um he fights from both stances you mentioned he's uh, he's wants a brawl he's a high output pressure striker that pressure has broken fighters in the past. I think about Sean Woodson, that was such an impressive beat. Beat him with his volume. Charles Jordan was another one where he beat him with um, volume. He he's a very just rock 'em sock 'em brawl type where he, he <clears throat> he's just gonna take one to land one. Uh, he's not a big power puncher, uh, which which obviously <laughs> doesn't help when you want to brawl. But throws lots of kicks, deep kicks. Um, He'll throw a head kick, real quick head kick. But you mentioned, like, defense is out the window. Lacks head movement, keeps chin high in the air, back straight up. Uh, he can wrestle. He'll sneak in a takedown, weak takedown defense, though. And he makes it worse by jumping guillotines instead of sprawling. Um, he'll look for subs off his back instead of scrambling to his feet. And his chin is obviously a big issue. He's been knocked out five times in his career, including um, many, many fights in the UFC. But cardio for him is an absolute tool. Now move over to Peterson. Peterson's the low-level UFC talent. It's as low as it goes. But he he's not a very technical <laughs> fighter. Uh, he Even though he moves and he presses forward, he tends to fight off his back foot, so he loses power there. He's not a great athlete. Uh, he lacks power, mostly throwing arm punches. Uh, I think about his spinning knockout, I think it was, was it Martin Bravo he knocked out with? That was like mm -hmm. a Hail Mary. Like that, I, That's a an illusion that's not going to happen for him a lot that was a outlier uh he's slow uh, he used a high guard defense which i don't like he's pretty much a pretty uh, well he's a high guard defense as in he's trying to pillar uh pretty stationary target doesn't move his head at all um, but he just makes up for just being a tough like son of a bitch <laughs> he, he's <laughs> a high volume non-stop action busy jab uh weak defensive wrestle but he can win a fight by 
offensive wrestling. I go back to like the map is set fight. He won, even though he was outboxed, he won just by getting takedowns. His BJJ isn't too too bad. Uh, he's he's got pretty good get up game if you take him down. He's, he also uses cardio as a tool, and he's got tons of heart. He's just gonna keep coming. So these guys are two of the least talented fighters on the card, but they have the toughness and the willpower to make it really fun. I think this fight could have been all out war. I don't think Julian Rosa should be a, like, what was it like? You said negative 250. Mm-hmm. He shouldn't be negative. I, I, I know I sounded like a broke record. <laughs> use, use this line again, but Julian Rosa should not be a negative 250 against anyone. You want to put negative 150? Sure. Not negative 250. Uh, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to take a Rosa. I think we're going to have this going to be fun of the night. I think we're going to have a war. Um, I'm going to see if Rosa wins a decision. I don't think he's going to stop Peterson, but I'm picking this. This with zero confidence. If Peterson wins, it won't surprise me at all. Next up at UFC Fight Night 200 is the long-delayed Tough 29 finale. It is a middleweight matchup between Treshawn Gore and Brian Battle. Uh, Had originally been scheduled for UFC on ESPN 30 back last uh, August, I believe it was. Gore had to withdraw with what I believe was a knee injury, instepped fellow Tough 29 fighter Gilbert Urbina, and Battle uh, finished him in the second round in pretty straightforward fashion. Uh, Now, the original matchup is made, which is, uh, you know, it's a good thing because uh, Gore, despite his very, very limited fight experience, had the most obvious upside on the show. Uh, He was, I believe, the betting favorite going into the fight with Battle before it was canceled. So here it comes. Gore. 3-0 Three and zero as a pro. This will be, a, you know, as mentioned before, his UFC debut. He will uh, he'll be taking on Battle, who is now six and one. Was five and one at the time. He is one and zero in the UFC with that win over Urbina uh, last August. And Gore once again is the slight favorite here. He is minus one forty five. Battle is uh, plus one twenty five as the slight underdog. Uh, Keith. This is a division that's, I mean, there is a reason that they made this season about middleweights. Middleweight needs bodies. Does mm-hmm. either of these guys have upside beyond just another dude? And who do you think wins the fight? Yeah, I actually think both guys do. I think they're, they're both good additions to the UFC. Um, Gore was a guy that obviously jumped off the page right away with his talent. But Battle's a guy that just kind of won me over. And by watching the season announcement fighter, he just has a very Alexis Davis type game to him where he's just going to stay in the fight, make it difficult and then win. Um, I was one of the very few people who watched every single episode of this season's ultimate fighter. Why? I don't know, but I did. Um, and I actually did it. I didn't, I didn't do it like live. I did it right before the finale. I went back and watched every episode. Well, you just binged it. I just binged. Yeah. I mean, it's much better than binging season uh, 87 of the ultimate fighter show. Um, <laughs> Uh, so Brian Battle, he's a you know the tough champion. He's well. Let me say something real quick. One thing I we talked about is that there isn't a true co-main event. Like nothing jumps out. Like oh, this is definitely co-main event. To me, the the UFC blew this opportunity. Like this should have been the co-main event mm-hmm. because I mean you're and spin it as we're answering who would have been the ultimate fighter. Um, that's why I mean this was the co-main event when it was the season finale. So. Um, Battle's a high-volume striker. I like that he just touches, doesn't really unload unless there's a clear opening. A lot of variety sacks, throws so many different uh, different things, mixes up really well, mixes punches and kicks together really well. Uh, a lot of kicks, especially teep kicks. 
Uh, defensively, he does stand a little tall. Um, but what I do like about him, even though he stands tall, he rolls with punches, which not many fighters do. So when he gets hit, he doesn't get hit as clean. Uh, he doesn't like being pressured. He wants to have space. But if you crash his space and you get into too close, if he's the one who initiates the clinch, he does really good. I mean, you go back to like the Andre Petrowski fight on the out of the season, of the tough. He 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 beat up a good wrestler with knees and uh, excuse me knees inside in the clinch. Good takedown defense, hard to take down. He showed really good balance in some of his scrambles. When taken down, he immediately works right back to his feet. Um, when Petrowski had his back, he stayed composed, didn't panic, uh, was able to recover and win that fight. He has four career subs, in, and he got one against Petrowski on the show. He got another one against Obina in the final, so you got to like that. Uh, just a guy who's just – he overachieved on the show, and I, I'm starting to believe in the guy. Now move over to Gore. Gore's only 3-0, as you mentioned. Um, but he really shined on the show. He's the one that jumped out, as, as you said. Very fluid striker. Does well to uh, cut angles well, switches stances and, and attacks from different uh, different angles. He's accurate. He's got you. See, I seen some of his um, fights coming up, and just the thing that jumped out me is his vision. He sees everything coming at him. Quick jab, great power, hard body kicks, hard calf kicks. Uh, one mistake he does do, he'll throw some naked calf kicks, leave him open encounters. Um, but he can sneak in a takedown. He's he's not one dimensional. He's very physically strong. I mean he's built I mean, he's built up a strong takedown defense uh going back to like the regional scene i was watching one of his fights against lj jones he had one of the slickest back takes i've ever seen for a guy who's not really known for his grappling uh he i'm not sure what his submission skills yet because there's such a small sample size so i don't want to say he's not a submission th- threat being that he's only had three professional fights so um I'll, I'll give him a pass on that as far as prediction goes, this is a really great fight. Um, that I think that's why the odds reflect it being so close. Uh, I like both guys. I think both guys are good additions to the UFC. Battle looked really good in the uh, finale. However, Gore, Gore was my initial pick when they were squared off against each other and they were going to fight in the finale. And I am definitely a lot less confident based on Battle's um, – you know, his showing in his UFC debut, how composed he was. And then flip that being that Gore, you know, added an injury. How much does that heal? How much 1%? You know, is he 100%? I don't know that. But I'm still going to go with my initial pick. I'm going to go with Gore. I'm going to say he gets it done in an absolute war. I think he has the more power of the two. Uh, give me Gore by decision uh, in a fight that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one as well. And in some ways... It was disappointing when it fell off because this fight was extremely intriguing when it was going to happen in August. And instead of it, we got a fight between Battle and Urbina that, you know, it was pretty straightforward. Like, you know, I, I thought you and I you know, had a pretty good handle on how it was going to go. Uh, and now Battle has made it even more interesting because he won another fight, even if it was one he was supposed to win. And yeah, there, there are questions of, about Gore is it's what this is six months since the the injury is he back to 100 percent, or how quickly was he back to 100 percent and able to go back to training because the other thing about him is he's young he's 27 years old he only had three professional fights going into tough and honestly he walked over those three guys but two of them were completely winless as pros like you know an oh and two and an oh and three guy and i think lj jones was the only one that actually had a professional win of, of any of gore's previous opponents but all this time, he's been at 
ATT Atlanta, you know, with the Lima brothers, with Juan Carnero. And as you point out, he's at the age where if you're the right fighter with the right team, you can make huge strides in between fights, huge strides in, you know, in, in your camps. So for all we know, Gore, if he's physically all right, may be a much better fighter now, even than he was six months ago. Like that, that's entirely possible. He's only been fighting for like three years. Um, I think this is going to be a really exciting fight as well. I am leaning towards Gore's uh, more technically sound striking and better natural power. And, you know, they're both good athletes, but, you know, his edge in hand and foot speed really t making the difference here. I expect it to be a back and forth fight for as long as it goes. But give me Gore to find something in the second round, uh, start the ball rolling downhill. And you'll probably hurt him on the feet or drop him and finish things on the ground. So give me Treshawn Gore by uh, second round knockout, and he will be the uncrowned Ultimate Fighter 29 forever. Next up at UFC Vegas 47 is a middleweight matchup between Sam Alvey and Phil Hawes. Alvey, the 35-year-old Wisconsin native, is 33-16-1 with one no contest overall. He is 10-11-1 since joining the UFC as a veteran of the 16th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, he is currently mired in a seven-fight winless streak, those being six losses and one draw. Uh, specifically, he has lost his last two, those being a second-round uh, submission loss to Julian Marquez last April and then a split decision loss to Wellington Terman at UFC on ESPN Barboza versus Chikadze last August, that if you ask him or look at his response to the decision being called out, he strongly felt he should have won. That is uh, pretty much a matter of opinion, but what is a matter of fact is he does not have a single win over anybody that is still on UFC roster, unless you count him beating, uh, who was it, Gerald Mearshart. Uh, before either of them was in the UFC. Like his win over Gerald Mearshart in 2014 is literally the only win he has over somebody that's still on UFC roster today. <laughs> Jay Ellis has a win over Gerald Mearshart. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Whew. He's taking on Hawes, the 33-year-old New Jersey native. 11-3 uh, overall. Uh, he is 3-1 and one since joining the UFC as a two-time veteran of Dana White's Contender Series. He lost on the first season to uh, Marquez. He came back in the 2020 season, beat Kajimurat Bestaev with uh, punches in the first round, uh, punching his ticket to the UFC. He won his first three fights in the UFC over uh, Jacob Malkoon, Nasruddin Imovov, and Kyle Dawkins. Uh, Minting himself as probably the most exciting prospect in the entire 185-pound division before running into the man of destiny, Chris Curtis, uh, last November at UFC 268. Curtis uh, caught him and put him down at near the end of a wild first round that, frankly, had been mostly going Haw's way. But nonetheless, that's a TKO loss. That puts an end to the win streak. He is looking to get back on track here against the veteran in Alvey and... The odds are stacked in his favor, to say the least. Hawes is one of the strongest favorites on the card at minus 320. Alvi is plus 260. Uh, it's nothing personal. Like, I don't wish Sam Alvi ill in any way. And whether he wins here and 
stays in the UFC or he loses and the UFC finally cuts him before he breaks BJ Penn's record. I, I don't know what will happen, but I I could I could stand not to watch another Sam Alvey fight because win or lose, they've never been super exciting, but especially during this like three year stretch of losses with the one draw, they've been miserable to watch. Uh, he's gotten finished really bad a couple times and then he's lost just some miserable split decisions that, yeah, he was mad at the end and not so smiling, but you know, none of them were really robberies. It's just been a, a grim March for the guy at this point. I, I guess if you want to get Hawes back on track, if you want to kind of salvage uh, Hawes as a prospect, because, you know, even if he has that prospect feel, he is 33 years old, you know, it's go time. Alvy's the right one because if Hawes comes in with his mind right on this one, he can win this any way he wants. If he has a lapse, the last thing Alvy has is he hits pretty hard. And I know that like you've kind of like taken me to task before. Like I'm not saying he is like lights out, but I'm saying, you know, without overswinging, like he, when he hits people, like they tend to feel it. Like he, if Hawes has a lapse, like he does in the Chris Curtis fight, Alvy could could absolutely hurt him, could at least steal that round, and all of a sudden, you know, we're in another Sam Alvey death march. So it's a good test for Hawes at this point, but I'm not picking Alvy to to win this, and I'm not even picking Alvy to, to make it to the end at this point. I think Hawes is going to come out uh, with something to prove, and I think he's going to put it on Alvy really bad. Uh, he's going to be able to take Alvy down with ease if he wants to. Uh, he's going to, his hands are going to be approximately 15 times faster than Alvy's for as long as he wants to hang out <laughs> on the feet. So I have, I have the feeling he will just blister Alvy on the feet for most of the first round. If he gets anything he doesn't like, uh, he'll take it down with a quickness. And while Alvy's, uh, he has good survivability on the ground, uh, you know, he's decent at getting back up. He, He, he will try to sweep. He'll try to throw up uh, submissions. I, I think Hawes will just pound him out on the ground if it goes there. So give me Phil Hawes by first round uh, TKO. Wow, first round. So so I pride myself, and I think I know we both do, in watching film and, and going deep. And I refuse to watch film on Sam Alvey anymore. It's the second fight in a row. I'm basically reading the same notes I did last time because I'm just done. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. You said the same thing. It's not personal. The guy's the nicest dude on the planet. Like, you know, if he was my neighbor, like, we'd probably have a snowball fight, you know, or something. Like, we'd be friends and stuff. But uh, like, oh, you think my power's overrated, huh? Snowball yeah. goes right upside <laughs> Keith's head. Yeah. No, he no. Sam would probably <laughs> Sam would probably have like a whole bunch of snowballs in his hand and just like back up next to like a shed and just get pelted with snowballs and refuse to throw them back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so i mean the guys the guys like you mentioned he's winless in the last seven fights he hasn't won a fight in three and a half years and that fight was a terrible fight that he won a split decision in uh, he's a terrible athlete he's slow he's flat-footed he backs straight up to the fence like tyron woodley did and and refuses to throw punches back uh he doesn't throw enough punches to win fights um i actually think his best part of the game might be his kicks which he throws those even less. He's okay in the clinch. If he can grab the clinch, kind of grind in there. I actually think he's an underrated grappler. Um, I agree with you that he's got a huge disadvantage in wrestling. So I'm not saying 
I'm just talking generally about Alvy, not against Phil Phil Hawes. Like he's not going to win a grappling match against Phil Hawes. Um, but he he doesn't fight to get the he doesn't really try to get the fight to the ground. Um, we've talked about it before. I think his power is the, the broadcast got talked about him like he's Mike Tyson, and I I don't think the power is there. Uh, and his chin is absolutely faded. Phil Hawes is explosive, incredible athlete. He's very aggressive, fast hands, technically sound, works behind a jab, does well to bounce his head off the center line, huge, huge power, powerful leg kicks, crushing high kick. You you talked about his wrestling, very good wrestler, junior college national champion, lightning fast entries, good drive. He'll drive right through a sprawl, good ground control, decent back takes. He needs to learn how to conserve some energy Um because he's so explosive, there's so much like fast twitch movement. Uh, and I am a little worried about his chin, being that Chris Curtis knocked him out in his last fight. And Chris Curtis has trained with Sam Alvey for a long time, so maybe he's given him some, some pointers. But as far as predictions go, this is one of the biggest mismatches in athleticism in UFC history. There isn't a single thing Alvey does better than Hawes. Uh, I expect Hawes to run right through him. You said that uh, he... He takes Alvy down and ground pounds him out. I think he's going to knock him out on the feet. I think Alvy's going to back up towards the fence, and Hawes is going to hit him with a huge, huge shot. Alvy's going to go down. The referee's going to jump in. Alvy's going to pop up with this ugly look on his face, like, oh, why are you stopping the fight? And he's going to yell at his ways, walking out of the cage. Um, throw the mouthpiece down. Yeah, throw the mouth. Yeah, yeah. Throw the mouthpiece down. All Even the way he throws it's all unathletic, like – like he's he's a guy like if he was like he was playing third base and the balls hit to him at third base he'd throw the ball and he'd like end up in the dugout like just <laughs> give, give me Hawes and honestly I I I pray this not the last time we see Alvin in the UFC I just I pray this is the last time we see Alvin fight in general. There you go. Oh, what was the method of victory on that one? First first round knockout by Hawes. Oh, there we go. Two. Two picks for Phil Hawes to get it done in the first round and maybe get more done than this, just this fight. Next up at UFC Fight Night 200 is a welterweight matchup between Shabkat Rachmanov and Carlston Harris. Rachmanov, the 27-year-old Kazakhstani, is a perfect 14-0 overall. He is 2-0 since joining the UFC uh, as a standout from M1. He fought most recently last June, choking out Michel Perez in the second round. Uh, at UFC Fight Night Gone versus Volkov. Prior to that, his last fight was his UFC debut, in which he absolutely ran through uh, Alex Cowboy Oliveira at UFC 254 on the way to a first-round guillotine choke submission. Uh, he'll be taking on Harris, the 34-year-old Guyana native, is 17-4 and overall. He is also 2-0 and in the UFC since joining as a standout from UAE Warriors. Uh, he won his UFC debut over Christian Aguilera with a first-round uh, anaconda choke. That was in May of last year, then came back in September and put Impa Kasanganai all the way out of the UFC with punches in just half a round at UFC Fight Night Smith versus Span. Uh, odds on this one have Rachmanov as a pretty strong favorite. He is minus 225 with Harris available at plus 200. Uh, with this line in particular, keep in mind that we're still a week out from fight night as of when Keith and I are recording this, and this line in particular has been kind of moving all over the place. Uh, Keith, we have two pretty uh, 
strong up and comers in this division, yet the odds makers have one of them uh, pegged as a much higher riser. Do you agree with that? And who do you see winning this one? Um, well, this is a this is a really good fight. It's it's nice to see the UFC kind of understand where a fight should be placed in the card. Like Sam Alvey fight should be much lower, but it's nice to, that this fight they see the potential in these guys and and they got them high up as as it really should be. Um, two guys that I really like, especially um, off You you're talking about a guy who was an M1 global champion. He's only 27 years old. He's really shown a a well-rounded game. Um, he, uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm scrolling for my notes. I can't find it, and I'm delaying as long as I can. Yeah, he's a points, like very poised striker. Uh, busy jab works, uh, just works behind that job, which sets up his his follow-up combinations, which I like. Um, targets the body. Nice pop in his strikes. Uh, defensively, he makes a mistake of pulling his head straight back, which I don't like that. Uh, but some he, he's good in the clinch, uh, clinch takedowns, body lock takedowns, good top control, has five submission wins. And, I mean, he subbed Michelle Prezeris in his last fight, which is a pretty big feat right there, regardless of what you think of Prezeris as, as a fighter. And now move over to Carlston Harris. He's got some long arms. Uh, he, he's built kind of like Alex uh, Oliveira, which is <laughs> ironic considering Rick Murdoff smoked to Oliveira, but – uh, long jab, pretty good snap on his punches. Showed uh, showed some power in, in his last fight. He can reach at times and overextend, um, but uh, he usually uses his long range well. Try to keep the fight at a distance. Uh, he's not one dimensional though. Good entries on his wrestling. I like his body lock takedowns. Heavy top pressure. Uh, he advances position on the ground. Uh, looks for head attacks. Loves the Darce choke. Good cardio. I've seen him go 25 minutes on the regional scene, so going hard 15 minutes uh, is it should be no problem. He's a lot older, so I don't say this is two uh, prospects going against each other, but it's more of two guys that kind of I think kind of really arrived. Uh, this should be a really good fight. I think the it could the, it could be closer than the line says. However, I like Rockmanov to win. Harris can be a little wild on his feet, and if he wrestles, I actually think Rockmanov can stuff his takedowns or even reverse some of his takedowns. I think Rachmanov is cleaner on the feet. I see Harris going for takedowns, but end, end up on bottom. And ultimately I think, uh, Rachmanov might, uh, ground upon him or get even get a submission. Give me, give me Rachmanov and I'll say he gets a submission in the second round. Both of these guys have been pleasant surprises, uh, in the UFC. I mean, I picked against Rachmanov in his UFC debut against Alex Oliveira. And it was, based strictly on him not having faced the highest level of competition for the most part on his way up. We didn't know at the time how good that win over Jinyong Park was going to look, you know, uh, a year or two later. And, you know, just anytime someone is coming from fighting in, you know, Kazakhstan and Chechnya and with like those obvious kind of physical gifts, you know, I'm, I, I always have a wait and see for, you know, the first UFC fight, the you know the first you saw the cycle just you know they're fighting in less regulated areas he is blown through i mean he blew through alex Oliveira and michelle percedes and has looked extremely impressive in both of those fights uh so yeah pleasant surprise for me and then harris even more so i mean harris faced a higher level of competition and has a longer uh you know has a longer resume just you know being older but you know his 
he his last fight before uh, signing with the UFC was uh, choking out Saeed Izagakmayev, who will probably be your one championship middleweight champ this time next year. Uh, and he also has just blown through two guys in uh, Christian Aguilera and Impa Kasanganai, who were not bad fighters, either of them. It's worth noting that Harris has been the betting underdog in all three of his UFC fights. He was the underdog against Aguilera. He was the underdog against Kasanganai. And he's an even bigger underdog against Rachmanov this time. But this time, I, I understand why it is. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Harris gives as good as he gets on the feet. But I I do have the feeling that Rachmanov is going to have the wrestling advantage. And while they're both good grapplers, uh, Rachmanov is a venomous grappler. Like, he, he is a nasty grappler. And it might not be as quick as the Oliveira fight, but I expect the ending will be the same. Like, Rachmanov is going to take this to the ground, is going to advance position quickly while hurting Harris with ground strikes or having already hurt him on the feet on their way there. And it will either take his back or lock up a topside guillotine or something like he did on Oliveira. So give me Rachmanov by second round submission. But uh, this is a fight for, between two guys that probably both have quite a bit of upside in this division going forward. Next up is a middleweight matchup that, again, as of a week out from fight night, is slated to be your co-main event at UFC Vegas 47. It's uh, Punaheli Soriano versus Nick Maximov. Uh, Soriano, the 29-year-old Hawaiian, is 8-1 overall. He is 2-1 since joining the UFC out of the third season of Dana White's Contender Series. He won his first two fights in the UFC by first-round knockout, uh, victims being Oscar Piajota and Dusko Todorovic, uh, before running into his first career defeat, uh, his first bump in the road. That was a unanimous decision loss to Brendan Allen at UFC on ESPN, Sandhagen versus Dillashaw last July. He is taking on Maximov, the 24-year-old Nick Diaz disciple, is a perfect 7-0 in his mixed martial arts career. He's 1-0 since joining the UFC out of the 2020 season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, his first fight in the UFC was in September at UFC 266, where he took a unanimous decision over Cody Brundage. Uh, Soriano is the moderate favorite here. He is minus 200, Maximov plus 170 as the underdog. Uh, Keith, you mentioned uh, off-air that this was one of the fights on the card you had a tougher time picking. Uh, what do you see as the advantages for each guy, uh, and how do you think it actually ends up playing out? Yeah, this is a really uh, tough fight. Uh, Soriano is he's a southpaw who carries really big power in his hands. He likes to slide into the pocket and really brawl it out. He's pretty accurate with his punches. I go back to uh, the Todorovic fight where he landed. Um, his left hook was like money maker for him. Mixes in, kicks well with his combos. Uh, yeah, he lost that Brandon Allen fight, but he was he was competitive in it early. I mean, he kind of faded a little bit late, but he was very competitive early. Uh, solid chin. Like, even though Brandon Allen was teeing off on him, he wasn't knocked out. He's a former NCAA wrestler. He's got some quick double leg entries. He showed some great strength picking his opponents up in the air and slamming them. Um, he can get a trip takedown in close. He's relentless with his ground and pound. Just a well-rounded fight. And a move over to Maximov. Maximov on the opposite. He's a little limited on his feet. He's like, um, he deadens the fight out of both stands. He looks uncomfortable between his high guard, but he's making advancements, uh, improvements over the last couple of fights. Uh, he does, to his credit, has some whip on his shots. Just from I think that's being from a good being, you know, natural athlete. Um, 
he so this things I like about him is is his wrestling. He he's a former junior college national champion. You go back to like his last fight against um Brendage, a good wrestler himself, and like DC couldn't talk high enough about Maxoff wrestling, his chain wrestling, uh putting it all together. He's constantly competing in BJJ. He has really good back takes. Uh he has a submission threat. And the thing that I think I'll always remember Maximoff is just how big his heart is. I mean, this guy went all the way up to heavyweight on the contender series to, to earn himself a contract, uh, which I like. So so this is what it was. I, hey, I, I Just real quick, I looked that up because I thought you were probably coming to that. For that contender series appearance, he weighed in at 209 against yeah. a 264-pound guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it's funny because some people were saying, oh, he's, his grappling wasn't that good, and he got the takedowns, but he kind of struggled a little bit. Yeah, because he, he was so small compared to his opponent trying to hold down like a beach whale. Um, <laughs> so Soriano. So this is how it went. I was picking Soriano, and then I rewatched the fight Maxwell for Brundage, and I was like, man, his wrestling is just really brilliant. And then I started thinking about, and I went back to Soriano's wrestling, and Soriano's a good wrestler, and I went back to the Brendan Allen fight and the combinations he threw, and I'm like, man, he that fight was close. I mean, Allen took over late, but it was closer than I remembered, and I'm like, man, Soriano, it's a guy I liked in the Katana series, then I went back and watched the Brendan, and I was like, man, but that wrestling in that junior college, and he's so young, and the, something about junior college wrestlers coming over to the UFC, and you know, Brock Lesnar, and John Jones, and Kamar Usman, and so I'm really, really uh, on the fence on this fight. I have no confidence going either way. And this is what I'm going to do. I have only picked like one or two other dogs on the card. So I kind of do for one. And I'm going to say Maxinoff does again. I'm going to say Maxinoff uh, turns into a heavy grappling matchup, wrestling matchup. He might not even be the best wrestler. But I think he, uh, you know, if they wrestled like a six-minute match but put over 15 minutes, I think that's work for him. I think he's got some back takes and uh, put Soriano in some defensive positions. And I think he's going to pull up a pull up an upset. So give me Maxinoff by, I'm going to say, decision. Oh, man. I want so badly to, like, jump on this upset pick with you because I could totally see it happening. Uh, like you, I saw Soriano kind of fade late in the Brendan Allen fight. Uh, and that worries me because... If indeed Maximov employs a wrestling heavy game plan here, or if Soriano tries to wrestle, uh, that's going to test that gas tank. And I have no reason to believe that that Maximov is likely to wear out. I'm picturing this is going to be a, a nip and tuck fight where Soriano maybe has to hold on to win, like he loses the third round and you know the, the momentum is going Maximov's way. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me too bad if. Soriano just potatoes him in the first round, just you know, yeah, catches him with something and flattens him. But I'm not picking it to happen. I'm picking Soriano. Give me Soriano by decision in a fight that probably raises Maximov's stock a little bit, just considering that, again, he is so young and so relatively inexperienced. But his gifts and his skills that he brought to the sport with him will be on full display. That brings us to the main event of UFC Fight Night 200. And I am going to call it that because if this thing falls off the card... God help this card. It is a middleweight matchup between Jack Hermanson and Sean Strickland. Uh, Hermanson, the 33-year-old Norwegian fighting out of Sweden, is 22-6 and six overall. He is 9-4 and four in the UFC and has alternated wins and losses in his last four fights. Uh, that, those would be a loss to Jared Cannonier, 
a win over Kelvin Gastelum, a loss to Marvin Vittori, and most recently, a unanimous decision win over Edmund Shabazian at UFC Fight Night Font versus Garbrandt last May. He'll be taking on the returned and resurgent Strickland, uh, the 30-year-old, uh, I believe, Californian fighting out of Florida, I want to say. Uh, he's 24-3 and overall. He is 11-3 and in the UFC, uh, but more... Relevantly, he is 4-0 and in the UFC since returning from a two-year layoff between 2018 and 2020. Since coming back on the UFC's Halloween Fight Night card in 2020, he has won four straight, those being uh, Jack Marshman, Brendan Allen in a 195-pound catchweight fight, Christoph Yatko, and most recently, on July 31st of last year, Uriah Hall over whom he took a unanimous decision in the headliner of UFC on ESPN 28. Uh, odds here have Strickland as a moderate to strong favorite to keep the streak going. He is minus 210. Uh, Hermanson plus 185 on the comeback. Uh, Keith, you mentioned that uh, this was a relatively hard fight for you to pick. You know, uh, I'm feeling the same way about it. Just, I mean... Strickland, frankly, has looked remarkable since he's come back. Uh, you know, he, he that's been accompanied by him deciding for good to just stay at middleweight. You know, he had been bouncing back and forth between middleweight and a very, very depleted welterweight earlier in his UFC run. But, you know, he's at middleweight for good, and that seems to suit him. Uh, and he's just looked uh, good everywhere. His striking has been sharp. He's got good power. He throws kicks as well as punches. Uh, he's not, I mean, he doesn't employ his offensive wrestling that, that often, but he's a solid defensive wrestler. He's great at creating scrambles and getting, uh, advantageous positions and positions from which he can throw strikes for damage in, uh, in, in scrambles. He just has, every appearance of being a guy who's on his way to the top five at middleweight. And he's fighting a guy who until recently was in the top five at middleweight and, you know, was hovering right around the cusp of a title shot as recently as a year or two ago. But I, I think this is easily the biggest test for Strickland since he's been back. I mean, I don't, I assume that Hermanson is ranked higher than uh, Uriah Hall uh, was when they fought. But even just stylistically, I think Hermanson presents much more of a challenge for Strickland because Hall's best avenues to win are with striking and Strickland was just going to be a busier striker and, you know, very defensively sound. I don't know what Brendan Allen's, like, his full upside is at this point. But, yeah, I, I think Hermanson is, is easily the biggest test Strickland has faced so far. And it's because he's durable, defensively sound, and dangerous everywhere. I, I'm interested to see how the how the wrestling goes against someone who is as strong as Hermanson and kind of as tricky as Hermanson is. I don't know how it gets done, but I'm actually leaning towards the upset here. Uh, I I think Hermanson either finds a submission late or just wins. You know, probably the later rounds going away with uh you know superior work on the ground but give me Hermanson by decision in this one yeah this is an intriguing matchup uh, I'm really excited about it and it it has it's gonna answer a lot of questions it's gonna answer about you know there was 
a time where we were questioning if Hermanson was for real, and then he showed that he was, and then we started questioning again. This will answer whether Hermanson's for real or not, and it's going to do the same thing with Strickland. Like, how far of this comeback career resurgence can we get? And Hermanson, he's he's the perfect fighter to be headlining this card because we keep talking about guys not being great athletes, and Hermanson's not a great athlete. Uh, but he's just so technically sound and he's uh, intelligent and high output, never stops working, uh, composed, just touching. He's a very like, get in, get out, striking style. Keeps his punches tight, all his punches coming inside. He does lack one punch knockout. He's not a big cracker, but um, a lot of leg kicks, a lot of calf kicks, occasional oblique kick. Uh, he makes a mistake that hasn't been exposed yet. He dips. He can, continually dips to the same side over and over again. I mean, he's going against a uh, a southpaw, someone with like a Marco Krokop style kick. He he can get caught on that side. It hasn't happened yet though. Um, he has. Uh, I go back to the Jacare. Jacare did have success going to the body of Hermanson, which is something that people uh, fighters need to do. He also had some success by forcing Hermanson. On his back foot, which Hermanson likes to be the one uh, stalking forward. But he's got a solid chin. Uh, other than Jerry Cannonier, he hasn't really been hurt too bad. Um, he can take a beat and continue to keep coming. Uh, and you talked about he is a criminally underrated grappler. Uh, great, like surprisingly good takedowns. I mean, he outgrappled Jack Wright. I mean, that tells you, you know, was it prime Jack Wright? Was it not? Who knows? I mean, it, Andre Bunez also submitted Jack Ray, but but that that was two years more recent. That's and what I say. Snatching a single submission in a transition is different than just out grappling the dude Dobby. for five rounds. Yeah, and is is that like how much of that grappling took a toll on Jack Ray? So a guy like Bunez could beat him two years later. Who knows? Um, so and then he obviously has uh, great cardio. Now move over to Strickland. Strickland, he he's a builder. He and what I mean by builder is he's a guy who's going to start off slow and just going to increase it up as, as he gets more comfortable. A perfect example of that is like a Max Holloway, John Jones is kind of similar. Um, he's very technically sound. He's similar to guys like Anderson Silver and John Jones, where he's he starts off slow because they're they're picking up reads, setting traps. Israel Asanya is kind of similar, even though Asanya is a little faster than Anderson Silver in, in that regards. But you know they're they're setting things up, seeing what you're going to do. Uh, he's constantly w- once he gets comfortable, he's not he's suddenly constantly moving forward. He's staying right in his opponent's face. Uh, he's got a great jab. He's got really an elite jab, one of the best jabs in the in the game. Great straight right, short just everything short, small, tight shots. Not a lot of tells. I would say he's the the bigger puncher of these two. Like that, he has the more power. He's not a big one punch knockout guy, but of these two, I think he's got the plus power, uh, the advantage and the power. Good kicks too, hard kicks to the body. Um, he he is heavy on his front foot a little bit, which leaves him open to leg kicks because he has a very boxing heavy style. Even though I did just talk about kicks, uh, but he can grapple too. He's a grinder in the clinch. Uh, he doesn't offensive wrestle much. He's not going to pursue the wrestling, but uh, he's going to be very hard to take down. If you take him down, it's going to be hard. Now we talked about. Hermanson's wrestling, so it wouldn't be surprised me if Hermanson gets down because we talk about it's like criminally underrated. He's a gr- he's criminally underrated grappler, 
So, uh, but it's, he's going to work. It's going to, it's going to take everything out of him, but that's the kind of fight Hermanson likes anyways. Hermanson likes to work. So, so as far as prediction goes, I, I was on the fence with this one. This is what I'll say. In his last fight, we asked a question. It, you know, Strickland was like, right. I think he either was, he might've been the back end of our shirt Oaks top 15, or maybe just outside someone we were considering for the top 15 before he fought Uriah Hall. And the question was, you know, he's a top, say he's a top 15 guy. Is he a top 10 guy? Is he top 12 guy? This is going to answer it. Now he passed that test. He showed that. Now we're asking the question, well, is he top five, six, seven guy? Like, is he that high up the division? And and this fight is going to answer it. This is, this is a test and this is a tough one. Hermanson's going to put himself in every possible situation to win. He's an extremely intelligent fighter. He's going to make it really hard. However, Strickland just seems so destined right now. There's like something about him. And you know me, I, I really still believe in the tape study more than like these little things. But he's fighting so much confidence. He's the more technically sound fighter. And I can just see him working that jab for like two or three rounds and just winning by having Hermanson walking into that jab. And um, I don't have a lot of confidence, but I think we might see uh, a really good boxing display from Sean Strickland to win. Uh, a very, very close fight, maybe like a 48-47 scorecard, three rounds to two kind of thing like this. But give me Strickland to win by decision. There we go. Uh, two picks without a whole lot of confidence and just a little bit of dissension atop the card of UFC Vegas 47. This has been the Sherdog preview for UFC Fight Night 200. Uh, thank you for listening. Definitely, uh, you know, check us out on the recap. 10, 15 minutes after the main event winds down, Keith and I will be live on the Sherdog YouTube page. You can find us directly there or links on the Sherdog.com front page. Uh, We'll break down all 13 of these fights or however many of the 13 make it through the octagon door. Uh, We'll talk about what was good, what was bad, what was controversial. If we were dead wrong on any of these picks, well, the live chat is wide open. We are there for your takes and your uh, your your fire as well as your questions. Uh, between now and then, enjoy your week, enjoy the fights, and thanks once again for listening.